Welcome to the BNP Rome Podcast, Season 2. Once again, this is your host, Brian, and as always, thanks for joining me. Welcome to Episode 7, Breaking the Binary Grip and Some Thoughts on Clubhouse. I recorded this episode two Thursdays ago, and I'm releasing it this week because over the past few days, I found myself in a bit of a mental funk and didn't record anything new. I don't know if you can relate, but sometimes I get into this place where I can't make a lot of sense out of my thoughts, where the effort of trying to be coherent seems more trouble than it's worth. During such periods, I've learned it's best to focus inward and sometimes to flat out just give myself a rest. So it's a good thing I'd recorded this one and, after listening to it today, I feel it's worth putting out there. Before we get to it though, I want to briefly talk about a new experience I've had the past few days, using the social media app Clubhouse. Have you heard of it? If you are listening to this from the future, perhaps this is a stupid question. Perhaps Clubhouse is to 2030 what Facebook was to 2020. Or perhaps it isn't. Perhaps it came and went like MySpace. Regardless, it's getting a fair amount of buzz in recent weeks, so I thought I'd like to share some initial thoughts. Clubhouse is a social networking app based on audio chat. Basically, there are various rooms based on topics, and you enter the room and listen to the conversations. You can become one of the speakers, though I've yet to do that. There's no text and no video. Nothing sticks around. In fact, this morning I ran a little experiment to see if I could record using the voice recording app on my phone, and I wasn't able to do it. That said, I see that some have been able to put talks onto YouTube. Regardless, the main idea is that it is ephemeral, an in-the-moment experience. In that way, it feels pretty safe for people. What we say isn't going to be something someone will dig up 10 years from now and hold against us. In addition, because it's a conversation and there can be many people in a room, people tend to talk for just a minute or two and then others chip in. Because I'm often listening as I do other things, it's often hard to know who is even talking. In that way, it feels somewhat less egocentric than something like Facebook, more community-minded. Having said that, for now at least, it is an invite-only app, and my impression is when you are in the rooms, there are moderators and not just anyone can talk. So it does have some gatekeeping aspects to it. According to an article from The Guardian, which I'll put in the show notes, it has 2 million users, and the owners are hoping to expand it so that anyone can join later in the year. Unfortunately, they won't be expanding it in China. After being a popular place where people were able to speak their minds freely, well, the old CCP shut the app down last week. Fuck the CCP. Anyway, I've only been in a few rooms and spent the majority of my time both yesterday and today in a topic that was about journalism with the title, New York Times versus Rational Discourse and Free Speech. I believe it was started by Eric Weinstein. You're going to hear me say a few negative things about him in this episode, but I want to walk back a little bit from those comments. I do need to listen to him more. His brother, Brett, also came into that room, and over the past several months, Brett's Dark Horse podcast with his partner, Heather Heyer, has become one of my more regular listens. The most recent episode of their podcast, also in the show notes, was an excellent listen 
covering why we should be skeptical of the WHO's so-called investigation into the origins of the coronavirus, among other things. Back to the conversation on Clubhouse. While it was focused on journalism, the discussion was wide-ranging. Today it got into the topic of science and how to properly do it. Many of the folks I heard in this conversation seemed to be from the tech and science field. That said, this evening I found a few other chats that were about music and film, which had a lot of artists in it. For now, I feel fortunate that I met someone who was kind enough to give me one of his invites. Perhaps I'll talk more about it on future episodes, but so far I feel Clubhouse has got potential because of the new format, and also just because I'm a person who has long enjoyed things like talk radio and podcasts. Okay, that's all I want to say before the episode. I'm not going to do any special preview about the details of the topic today. You can look at the show notes to see the list. It's a typical rambler with a bit of focus on how we create dichotomies and whether that is useful or not. And I also talk some more about the Cartman drama triangle. All right, thanks again for joining me. And if you have any requests for topics or feedback about the show, let me know. Okay, enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon, good evening, good night. Well, I guess I wouldn't say good night to you because that means you're going to bed, but then again, I sometimes go to sleep to podcasts, so sweet dreams. Um, <laughs> it is morning here, Thursday morning, Japan, February 4th, and I'm on my morning walk as I tend to be when I do this podcast these days. I'm down by the river. Oh, but the water is lower now, so we don't get to hear the sound of it running through the rocks. Although it turned out you really couldn't hear that that much anyway. So I'll find it one of these walks. I'll find somewhere that has a little bit more of a water sound. But right now you're hearing me dive under the bushes, under the trees, on this road that is no more the road, I, the bike path I used to use. But all this construction they're doing in my area they've made it so i can't do that all right just had another had a couple this week um three days in a row of rebel wisdom communities in the morning and uh yesterday actually there were two because one of them was in the middle of the night for me 2 a.m and then the second one was at the usual five and then i stuck around the after hours until the end i did the same today and today was a really interesting discussion in the after hours um, where we were talking about, well, I'll try to frame it this way. We were trying to, we were, we were discussing feminine, like the kind of over-intellectualization, the masculine uh, of the culture. Like the, the topic, the main topic today was the IDW, the intellectual dark web and the death of the IDW. <laughs> and uh, there was some chat in the after hours about, like it never it never died because it was never born. It was a stillborn movement, uh, which was pretty funny, but also pretty insightful. And uh, that led into a discussion about 
kind of how there is this it, it, the IDW in general and perhaps even the rebelism channel and, and the cult, the culture conversation online is very intellectual and uh, I've been you know I'm gonna keep walking here because I want to get to the sun it's cool this morning a little colder than it has been the last few mornings um or maybe it's just I haven't been out in it as early uh, I've been uh, talking with people about what I intuit as a transition from the age of where the masculine, the rational, the linear mind is predominant to an age of we're trying to integrate that and we're trying to bring back online the more intuitive, the more embodied, the feminine. Um, and that discussion today kind of went into this realm and it was interesting because there was some as we were arguing for or people were somewhat arguing for not um, the idea that we need the feminine back I made the point that you know when we start talking like well we need the feminine to be predominant it's like that's the the very thing we're rejecting the idea that we're rejecting is that one needs to dominate the other like the feminine perspective or is holistic and i don't even know if that's the feminine but you know it isn't actually actually it isn't well there's some construction going on up there just don't drop a tree on me please um it actually isn't and i made this point because someone was talking about that mentioned the word flow and i said well flow is very much watery and looking at through the frame of the four elements water is feminine in the in the astrological framing of things they they the four elements you have earth and water are the two feminine elements and air and fire are the two masculine elements now interestingly as I point, as I made this comment, when it comes to flow, well, both masculine or both feminine, water flows. Water, we all know, water flows, but air also flows. And air is masculine, so it's not. There's no monopoly on flow by the feminine. So this is again, it's integrating the two. And so I think now here's another point that's interesting. And I, I, I briefly mentioned this there, but that we were talking about intuition and that being feminine. And we do kind of think of that woman's intuition. <laughs> In fact, I'm listening to My Struggle by Karl Ova Nausgaard, I think is his last name, the Norwegian guy. And he had a scene in his book where he's with his 16, he was a 16 year old self and his friend and him were trying to find their way to this party and they got to this place where they knew the name of the road they were going to but there were four different branches and his friend's like why don't you use your feminine intuition or your woman's intuition he's like why do you say that my woman's intuition you saying i'm a woman or something and, um so anyway culturally we do we do associate intuition with feminine but in, this is something i learned last year from rick levine which is that in the Jungian understanding of, you know, the intuition, like Jung put it in terms of astrologically, we have air, earth, air, earth, fire, <laughs> and water. Intuition is fire, and that's actually masculine. 
Like, that's the most masculine it is. You know, fire is associated with war, the god of war, Mars, you know, like fire. Um, intuition lights up quick. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not something that, like, takes time to get going, you know, like, and it was interesting. I wanted, I had thought about bringing this into discussion, but it was just like, it was a little bit taking it too far field, I thought, so I just kept quiet, but there was kind of this, like, people were connecting intuition with the heart, and someone did divide it, like, well, they're, you know, they're, it's not the same thing, and true, and again, in the Jungian, the understanding that he had, where he split the, you know, the personality types, and there's the four, the four dichotomies, like, the heart feeling, and thinking the mind are, are one dichotomy and then you have intuition which is fire and the other dichotomy to that is sensing which is earth um and again there's you've got a feminine masculine split there so again i'll just say that you got feeling the heart feminine thinking the mind air masculine uh, feeling I should put into uh, water, okay? And then with <clears throat> intuition, fire, masculine, and sensing, earth, feminine. So it's interesting though, we, you know, that for some reason intuition's gotten tossed into uh, the female perspective, but it's actually. Hmm, how could I say this? Like, it's the grounded... Is it the grounded male? Like, because I'm connecting it to Earth, you know? Like, Earth is grounded. Sensing is grounded. But it is kind of like a direct experience. Like, intuition is a direct, you know, like sensing. Like, when you touch the Earth, you feel it right away. You don't think about it. You don't feel it. You don't run it through your process of feeling. It's just like, I feel the ground, you, you know? And intuition is the same thing. It's not not something that you have to think about or go through your heart it just comes to you anyway these are some of the thoughts uh i had and i I shared with the group that you know because i live here in japan um uh, these talks for me are early in the morning and they get my mind going and my mind starts firing all my intuition all my you know my intellectual my thinking you know, all the masculine parts of me get going as I'm on these talks. And as soon as the talk is over, I like to go out and take these morning walks and get grounded again, get back into the feminine, get sensing and get back into the flow. And I could even say that, you know, um, getting out in the fresh air, there's that flow. So, you know, it's interesting. Like we make these dichotomies and things and we separate these things and they're very, it's a very fascinating little thing to do but they they flow together you know like the boundaries are in some ways not real like on on a deeper level it is all one you know like there, there's but we can split them apart and tease them apart and it gives them different angles to look at things um so i'm sitting here on my bench the same bench i sat on the other day i like this bench uh i see the people driving by on the bridge going to work Work. What you doing today? Work. Me too. Work. 
You working? I'm working. Well, I'm working here. Um, it's just uh, the year, you know, it's like a kind of sabbatical that I'm on here. And, uh, well, it's coming to an end in a way. I mean, it is February 4th, and I got about two more months before I get into my new two new jobs that will be, what, four classes a week. Uh, so I'm still going to need to add some stuff to it, but those will be the ground of my work. And then I'm going to keep the writing going. And uh, speak, okay, let me talk about writing for a little bit. What the heck? So yesterday, and this all connects, folks, it's all going to connect. Um, I was doing another aspect of grounding, which is uh, meditation, going into my inner nature and breathing. Well, there, that's air, but um, I do my breath work, and then I do my, my meditation. And so as I'm doing my meditation... Uh, I was, this was in the afternoon, so yesterday I did things in the afternoon, uh, wasn't a morning, wasn't the AM plan as usual, and I'd had, after that, I was going to do my, the writing that I was going to, planning this new short story that I'm working on, about the QAnon, about someone, a character who gets into QAnon, and as I'm doing the meditation, I had an intuition, and the intuition was make the protagonist a female and I was like okay and it was it's so I and then the next intuition I had after I did the breathing I sat down was like my plan had been I'm oh I'm gonna do some more research on this you know and I'm gonna oh, I was gonna brainstorm I was gonna like just kind of write up like a brainstorm of the character and the story and whatever but instead, I decided, like, why don't I just write? Like, why don't I just start writing, like, as I'm writing the story? Like, and that's how I'll brainstorm. I'll just do it. But I'll brainstorm through the actual process of having something written that's in the form of the story. So that's what I did. And it's very rough. But I got 1,400 words out of it. And it was pretty much <clears throat> a background for this character. Now, I don't know if it will be used, but... Now I've got this person's backstory, which leads up to where the story takes place. Um, I mean, I have a general idea of where I'm going with it, but what I want to talk about here is—I uh, mean, I know where the—I know the ending. I already know the ending. Um, and uh, but the idea of writing a feminine character, like from a protagonist, I've never—I don't think—I think I've tried to write a protagonist that was a female but I've always kind of written like for me my, my fiction has always been very much a little narcissistic to be honest with you yes and no I'm being a little bit self-critical but I'm also jokingly being self-critical it's not a real hard inner critic there just an observation that most of my protagonists have been a version of myself and I'm a guy so and I like to write from a place of knowing, you know, like I know this subject and I know what it's like to be a guy, you know, more than I don't know what it's like to be a woman. But, you know, for the purpose of writing a short story, you know, I, I, I sent a message to my friend Eileen because she's a publisher and I was like, you know, I'd like to talk to you about, you know, writing a female protagonist. And she's like, you know, actually my husband Dave who's a novelist and he loves to help people out with this kind of stuff is a better one to ask. So... I'm going to do that. And she's like, and he writes really great female 
characters. And I, you know, and I thought to myself as I reflected on this that you know, <clears throat> I know the answer to me is <clears throat> why well, my voice keeps going. This has been happening a lot the last few days. <clears throat> it happened at the Rebel Wisdom thing today too. Um, I know the answer for me is to just get to the humanity of the person and this was one of the things when we were having our discussion in the after hours that I actually pushed back on with people a little bit I said you know because one one person was saying that you know there's too much of this intellectual white male thing and like associating the two and I, I was saying like a I thanked her for sharing that because in general I agreed with her overall her meta perspective but I disagree with this as a white male I've had this frustration where in the past few years I feel like my voice has been silenced because of my my you know things I can't control I cannot I'm not going I have no desire to change my skin color or my gender I just you know I, I am who I am I'm a white male <clears throat> however I'm also a very uh intuitive that's masculine i guess but i'm you know i'm a feeling i'm an enfp you know nf is very female dominated in the uh in the per, the mbti temperaments types um and i've always been a bit of a beta beta male you know and so i was talking speaking to how in the past few years i've been feeling and in, in coming into my like not feeling shame about speaking up and being a little bit more alpha and being a little bit more you know healthy masculine and so but as I've done this there's been this pushback from some people like oh you're just a white male or oh you're you know you're mansplaining or oh you know and it's like so using my identity to silence me and it's like well that's what you're that's what this whole movement is trying to end like the reason we want to give voice to the voiceless you know to people of color to you know gays to women's to you know everyone all you know all these groups that have been traditionally in our culture marginalized is we want it so that everyone has a voice and that the danger the danger of what's happening with the kind of this movement, the postmodern movement, this this urge is that it's adapting some of the um, modern, the masculine, the either or, the I'm on top, you're on bottom, and so all of a sudden the roles will just be flipped, and okay, all of a sudden, oh, hey, people of color and women, they've got a voice, but men, white, sorry, now you're the victim, and we're just playing the victim and you know the perpetrator victim savior game still playing it we haven't actually evolved we've just changed roles in the triangle and like we're still stuck in the fucking triangle <laughs> and that's not what we're trying to do so i'm going to be speaking to that but you know i had this sense last year a lot that you know i was being silenced or that if i were to put my voice out it wouldn't be heard because of some of these identity politics schemes that we're playing and just this that I'd still be, you know, and then I'd be fighting back against my oppressors and, you know, and it's like I'm that triangle is just not working and it's not working for any of us. And I shared this yesterday um, af 
in the after hours that I had this dream on St. Patrick's Day last year, 2020. Very powerful month, March of 2020. And uh, I don't know what was going on in your life, but I know collectively it was a huge month. And astrologically, it was also like that month in January last year were the two biggies. And there were a couple others, but those were the two. Well, the fall was pretty big too. But um, anyway, uh, I had this dream. And in the dream, I can't describe. It was weird. It was a dream where I woke up where I, I understood the conclusion of the dream. And I had kind of the imagery. Like there was like this court trial and this system and it was like in this trial it was like the oppressor was being in you know like the judge was the was the bully the oppressor was you know the victim was the the defendant and then the savior was you know the lawyer or whatever so it's like a courtroom kind of thing but in the in the dream it was like the i knew it intuitively that it was a collective thing i was seeing and every single person was playing the role, but they were every single person in their inner monologue was like, I'm tired of this. This is not working anymore. I don't want to be the bully. I don't want to be the victim. I don't want to be the savior. This ain't working. <laughs> and uh, I wrote a post on my Facebook page about this. I should probably find that and uh, make sure I save it because, you know, I, I right when I woke up, I wrote this out. It's a really powerful dream. And, like, I've been having this reflection seeing this through seeing so much of what's happening in our in our personal and uh, relationships and the dynamics of cultural collective relationships i'm seeing so much of it is this like this cartman drama triangle cartman is the name person who named it i guess a psychologist and in my story getting back to my story like i don't know how i got on this the drama triangle but in my story i'm actually going to be using this as kind of the meta background it won't be really mentioned but and then i'm going to have it move toward the place where there's a new triangle and here's an i think i mentioned this before in the podcast maybe not but the new triangle it's worth going you know people aren't going to listen to every episode i don't listen to every episode of all the podcasts i like so and this is important i think this is very helpful so now instead of so victim will become co-creator okay and then, <clears throat> or creator, victim is creator, sorry, creator. This triangle, I guess you could call it the co-creative triangle, all right? So victim becomes creator, oppressor, per, um, persecutor, bully becomes co- uh, challenger, and then savior becomes coach. And in this game, it's a win-win for everybody. We're all trying to help each other. It's not a, it's not a, not a one-upmanship, it's not a, you know... Um, we're all trying to grow together. We're co-creating, right? And this gets back to the Rebel Wisdom chat today because what we were all talking about was coming to, like, grounding ourselves in the heart, like coming into relationships and conversations from a place of, I'm in my heart, I want to, I'm doing this because I care about you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to, you know, and myself, like by doing that, it will help me. Like we'll both benefit by me being in this place. And something that was said in the main talk, in the main discussion, the main room that I actually, well, I don't know if I disagreed with it, but I thought, I don't know. Cause I've seen, I'm seeing it work. Like they were saying, uh, this, 
you know, the intellectual like perspective, that kind of thing, that thing scales. And like we're always, they're always, you know, in the kind of capitalist language, we're always talking about how can we scale this project? How can we make it bigger and make it grow? And they were saying, well, this heart thing, like, you know, it's, I don't know if it scales, like when you communicate with your audience. And I was thinking to myself about you know, Jessa Reed's podcast and like we were, they were all talking about how I got to take a leak. I'm going to go over here where it's a little less noisy too. This guy doing his work. Um, uh, like Jess's podcast has become very popular and, you know, it's a fringy thing, but she has a following or whatever. Um, it's not going to be the next Joe Rogan podcast. You know, it's its own top, but she has done that by becoming from the heart, being authentic, being vulnerable, you know, um, and so, and people say that to her, that like, it's the vulnerability. It, that's what, that's what the authenticity, I know you're not bullshitting me. Uh, you're being honest. You'll express frustration and you'll, we'll hear you go through your working this all out and it's very vulnerable and that is attractive. And in this discussion, So we had a little zipper malfunction. <laughs> Janet Jackson uh, wardrobe malfunction, 2003 Super Bowl, folks. Look it up. Um, in this discussion about the IDW, there was talk from David Fuller and the guests that you know they want to see more of that vulnerability in that in people like the Weinstein brothers. And it's interesting because the way they were talking, like I've never really like vibed with Eric Weinstein. Like it just doesn't, he his thing just doesn't resonate. Like Brett, I generally like and I appreciate him for his intellect, but I also, he's got a, some more, he's got a sense of humor. And I also like that he has his wife on. So there's, you know, there's that balance. But like Eric just comes across to me as this, you know, kind of full of, full of himself, super smart guy that, you know, just doesn't work for me and they were talking though about like how brett and heather one of them had met them right after they were they were fired i didn't know this but they i wasn't sure if they fired or quit but you know they they left evergreen and their kids were like you know a certain age and they were like they were in a state of like fear and trauma like how are we going to pay for our kids schooling you know how are we going to survive and so a lot of their pushback against the, you know, the woke culture, the, there is this trauma that drives some of it, you know, like, it's not to say that their criticism is wrong, but maybe the, I don't want to say shrillness, but the the level, the volume of their critique of that culture might be, um, well, it might be, it, it clearly is, like, driven by their personal experiences, as are all of our, you know, reactions to things. So they had this experience where they were, you know, I don't know if they were tenured. I don't know their situation, but, you know, respected. They were, I, I think I've heard talk that they were like the most popular professors on the campus at one point. And because they didn't go along with the program, the woke program, they were forced out and their careers were up and, you know, as their kids were at a certain age. And it's like, well, how are we going to survive? And so then when you get into that mode, that survival mode, you do go and do like protect and fight and flight and anything that's trying to threaten your survival is the enemy. So you can see how that drives some of their, um, 
their their mission against woke because they had this experience and I, I actually what I'm getting at is it would be wonderful if some more of that was shared but because they're they're kind of you know they do come out of a scientific intellectual framing of things they aren't coming at it from like here i have this personal experience and and so there can be a little bit of lack of vulnerability in that you know um that that intellectual mind can be uh you know an easy way to put up some defenses against and going in and also anyway i'm not saying that's their role but it is interesting to think about how you know some of these people who have become leaders of these movements like they have their own psychological unconscious shit that you know is pushing them in certain directions and so we should try to be aware of that and what both this uh I keep thinking Jay Stevens, but that's the guy that wrote the book Storming Heaven. Um, Jay, 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 Jay. He was great. I like this guy a lot, and I can't. I feel bad that I'm not remembering his name. Um, I'll try to get it later. But uh, anyway, the guy who was on the, the the guest today, who stuck around in our after hours, that was the first time that happened. That was really cool. Um, but I really liked him a lot, and you know what he was saying. He wrote this article about the IDW, and that's. And he and David have had a lot of talks on the side about this. And, you know, he was saying his plea, like his conclusion is pleading for more humility. And, you know, humility, uh, authenticity, vulnerability. Like those are all heart things, you know. But those are not provinces of the intellect. They just aren't, you know. And so I think it, it was just really interesting to see this community, which is, and I've had this critique i mean i i for okay let me say it this way for me i've needed more i've been trying to get more like one of the reasons i like brett weinstein and one of you know is i'm trying to get more of the rational more of the intellect like that's kind of in my my own inter- integration my project of you know learning integral theory and learning about the things that aren't are my weaknesses one of the things i'm working on is becoming more rational more you know being more comfortable in these realms so i love this channel for that but the weakness of this channel has been and i think you know this i don't know so much about rebel wisdom is yeah i think it's a little bit of a weakness but it's just it's the culture it's playing in you know like the culture we're still living in is this kind of you know these conversations get driven from the head and um and so for the a new idw or something like it to come out you know is more heart-based and interesting like i remember somebody mentioning how like using the term dark kind of like set it oppositional already like the intellectual dark web and i w- i just had this kind of intuitive uh image in my head of like guys in school like okay this guy my my former roommate that i that i love to death that i've lost touch with in college like super smart engineering guy but he always you know he was into like goth and like ministry and like he always wore black and it's like i'm dark you know there and there is this kind of um 
in the intellectual dark web, there is this, you know, sort of like, and in, in, I'm just saying in this sort of, in that scientific worldview mindset, there is that kind of like, we are dark, you know, like, fuck the hippies, fuck the rainbow colors, you know, so, um, it's interesting, it's just a little thought that I had there. Alright, this is probably more than long enough, especially if I'm going to add this, I don't know if this is going to be the next episode, yeah, I got 30 minutes here, um, those are my thoughts this morning, I am going to, uh, walk back, and I, I may release, no, I'm going to try, I don't want to, here's the thing, I'm going to make this promise to my, my listeners, like, I feel, I still feel this, and like, I was joking about this on the talk today, too, like, whenever we have these talks, people will recommend, oh, here's this YouTube video, and here's this article, and here's this book, and here, you know, and it's like, I, I take a lot of, I take notes, and by the end of the talk, or even in the after hours, I've got like, you know, weeks and weeks worth of media from the one talk. Well, and then tomorrow we have the next talk. And this is kind of my daily experience. Like, there's just no way to keep up with all the media right now. So I want to make a promise to not release, like, two episodes a week and, like, bonus episodes and, like, just overwhelm. I don't have that many listeners, but, you know, I don't want people to feel obligated um, to listen. So that said, I do feel like um, I'll have to listen back to these and decide, but I, I was going to say, I do feel like these are connected, what I talked about the other day. Uh, here, I'm going to make them connected. Well, actually, I don't know if I can speak to that well enough. I listened to it this morning before the talk. I listened to one of my favorite astrologers, Stephen Forrest. Like, he's an older guy, and he's just, he's written like a ton of books and super smart. Capricorn like me, all of us Capricorns, we're fucking smart. <laughs> um, but you know, he's really, he's really, really great. And he did the the, the podcast I listened to. It was this twenty minute bit about the age of Aquarius and when did it start, and you know, or has it started, or will it start soon, or you know, and that whole discussion. It's an interesting discussion. And when he was talking about it, he made me realize that I was a little bit. Well, I, I, again, I can't. I'm a little bit wrong in what I said in the last episode, or in the first part of this episode, whichever it is. But I need to. I need to increase my understanding about. I, I am correct when I say, like, if you look up at the sun, like it'll the background of the sun will look like it's in Aquarius, but like you'll hear people, or like right now it'll look like it's in Capricorn. But people will say, oh, but it's in Aquarius, like. And it has to do with the procession of the equinoxes and, you know, so the Vedics, the Indians will say like, well, no, actually, like, Brian, you're a Sagittarius. Like, when you were born, the sun was in Sagittarius. It wasn't in Capricorn, blah, blah, blah. And, but, like, as Stephen Forrest was saying, that these constellations are not, like, they're not a clear-cut line in the sky, you know. They're they're imagined for one, you know, like, we see these shapes, and they're not clear-cut, and, but... In terms of the astrological chart, it's divided up into 12 clear divisions because that, you know, mathematically, it makes it easier. This gets back to what I was talking about a minute ago about, you know, the four elements and, you know, so there's a little bit of human construct being put on all this. And it's why I, I mentioned in the last podcast that it's co-creative, this whole astrology thing. It's not, you know, purely like this is observed in nature and it's being imposed upon us. It's kind of like we observe these things in nature and then we sort of intellectualize and co-create along with it and see these patterns. So 
Um, but I, I'll just say real quick, as he was saying, which is cool, I like this. Like, I had this understanding in my mind that the age of Aquarius, like the transition into it, began, I said, with the actual late 1700s, uh, when America and the French Revolution and like that, you know, revolution is is Aquarius, is Uranus Aquarius. So, and you know, not that there weren't other revolutions around the time, but he was saying like he did this thing where he's like well we can actually look at it using like as above so below so we can try to determine when it began by looking at the sky but we can also look at it from human history and so what he did was he did this thing where he said okay buddha was born around like 500 bc jesus was born around zero so split the and like the idea we went from the age of aries which is an age of war and you know historically this this checks out you know and then the age of Pisces, which is a metaphysical, the, the rise of world religions. And so he's like, well, okay, Buddha and Jesus, the East and the West, the two biggest figures. And he's like, let's split the difference, like, for the start. So we'll go to 250 BC, and then then you use, like, how long it takes for the actual procession. And it's like 2,147 years and six months. Oh, I got that number right. Like, I've been saying 2,160. But anyway. So he's like, well, then you go that forward, and that's like 18, like 57 or something. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I might be a little off, folks, but um, but he's like, but I think he's like, you know, we're, we kind of made up that number that halfway between Jesus and Buddha. So he's like, we can put, you know, it's a 2,000 year cycle, so we can be a little bit looser with this. And so he says, like, the age of Aquarius, he puts it at like like 1903, 1905, like you know, early, and, and he he uses the Kitty Hawk. And, you know, the a man began to fly and flying is, you know, Aquarius is connected to flight and uh, things of the sky and it's air, you know, and technology. And, and he was talking about what other what other thing did he mention? Um, Einstein. Einstein's theory of relativity was invented in that little window. And so. You know, and you just look at the 20th century. And so, you know, so he's saying in his in his perspective on things, it's like it started the age of Aquarius started <laughs> 120 years ago. And I'm fine with that. You know, like I, I've I've been kind of making the case of people like we really don't. You know, there's no set. I already I think I've already said this in the podcast. There's no set. You know, even though spring begins on March 21st, the transition is a little, you know, you got to go three or four weeks on both sides of it. And, you know, you might have a spring-like day in the end of, you know, in the middle of February. And you might have a winter-like day in the middle of April. So, um, anyway. I like the idea that, you know, and if we're, regardless, I think we can all, well, he was saying that using the astronomers, the astronomers who did this kind of calculation in like the late 1920s, he's like, well... By using that, then the age of Aquarius doesn't actually start till the year 2600, so we're far away. But you know what? Nah, it doesn't intuitively line up with me at all. So he's like, he was like, I don't buy that, and I don't either. Um, Rick Levine, I think, was saying like he thinks it's like the age of Aquarius starts in like 2150 or something. Or anyway, it doesn't really fucking matter. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. That's the ultimate conclusion, folks. Um, I'm going to head back, and uh, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening.